Welcome to Get Down to College Business. We will identify strategies that could make the difference between keeping university doors open and closing them for good. I'm pulling in business experts and higher ed leaders to debate the merits of strategies that could save the future of higher ed. I'm your host, Sarah Holton, PhD. Let's get down to college business. Hi, everyone. This is Sarah Holton and your host. I'm joined today by Dr. Drum McNaughton, consultant at The Change Leader and podcast host of Changing Higher Ed. Changing Higher Ed actually changed my life a little bit. Changing Higher Ed was one of the first podcasts that I truly fell in love with when I started listening to podcasts during COVID. And so I'm super excited that we have Drum here today. Drum is consulted for both public and private colleges, plus other nonprofit and for-profit industries. He's helped many organizations navigate through governance, leadership, strategy planning, and accreditation issues, among other issues. So welcome today, Drum. Thank you. Glad to be on your podcast. And thank you, Sarah, for the really kind words. I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm a fangirl of changing higher ed. I look forward to every is a Tuesday morning when my phone pings to let me know a new episode has been released. So... Yeah, Yay, thanks. absolutely. So using an outside perspective to help your college has many advantages, of course. However, consulting comes with a price tag. So when should colleges hire a third-party consultant and when should they look internally for the solution? So Drum's here to walk us through some key questions to help the leaders and the listeners decide. Let's start with the types of consulting that are most common. So Drum, which ones do you see having the most need for colleges and having the most return? Yeah, I could be really flippant and give you a typical consulting answer, which is, it depends. But frankly, there are consultants that will fill every niche that a higher ed institution does. When you stop and think about a college or university, it's a small city. You've got all the services or most all the services that a city has. I mean, you've got police, some big ones have got their own fire departments, all of the type of things that are needed for the care and feeding of students and employees. And so from a consulting perspective, there are almost infinite things that an institution of higher education can use for consulting. For me personally, I do focus on Accreditation, I focus on governance, both board and faculty governance, strategy, change, and turnarounds, transformations. But I have a number of colleagues who do, say, for instance, enrollment management. You know, that is one of the big areas right now. IT, cyber. I mean, there's multiple areas that a consultant can work in. It really depends on what is it that an institution needs and do they have the expertise on their staff to be able to deal with the issue that they're facing. So tell me about some of the specific benefits. So if a college is looking to potentially hire a consultant, what are some of the benefits that they can expect to see? It really depends on what it is that they're looking to do. I'll give you an, an example. I had one client pull me in who'd been placed on probation by their creditor two times in a row for multiple issues. You know, they had tried to work through it themselves the first time and they got some of them done, but they didn't get all of them. And so they brought me on to get them through that process from accreditation. 
and it reached over multiple areas. For example, you know, it was a lot of without getting into, you know, client specific things. It talked a lot about accreditation. It talked about board governance. But there were also some things on there as well that they needed. They were refinancing debt, so they needed a strategic plan. So there are multiple ways that a consultant can help. And the benefits is you're getting expertise that you wouldn't normally have on your staff to be able to walk you through specific problems or to take your institution to the next level. So tell me about that. When you say take it to the next level, do you have an example or just some general advice for what that means? I do have some examples. One institution that we recently worked with, they brought on a new president for the university. And we were very much involved with doing onboarding interviews for that president. So he or she would have a good understanding of what's going on at that particular institution. We did 65 interviews with with different stakeholders across the institution, and we were able to present to the new president and to the board, these are the key issues that your new president is facing, and here are some recommendations on how to deal with those issues. So that was just one example of bringing in an outside objective perspective to an issue that helped them to take it to that next level. Yeah. So what I think I'm hearing you say is it's about foresight. It's about being able to see ahead and help everyone sort of navigate what's to come and get ready for that. That that certainly is part of it. But remember, from a consulting perspective, you're not talking about someone who has usually been just in one particular area. I mean, for me, I've been in multiple areas of higher education, business, as well as academic side. I've also bring experience in sitting on boards of directors, both for-profit, non-profit. So, and many consultants bring a holistic perspective. We're able to see the forest and the trees. We see it at 50,000 foot, and we can see the steps that are needed to take that institution to that next level. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like a lot of breadth of experience, not just depth, depth in some specific areas, but also breadth where I've had experience in this area as well and that area as well. And I leverage those skills to pull them into what a new institution or an institution I'm contracted to work with now needs. And so, yeah, that does make a lot of sense. So there's got to be some institutions that are wondering, well, we'll just do this in-house. We won't spend the big box to hire a consultant. What do you think about institutions using internal people and resources? If they can do it, great. I fully recommend that. You've got a consultant who is going to come in. And first off, it's not big bucks. It's, it's an investment into your future. So there are consultants who charge big bucks. And then you get folks who come out there and charge a reasonable fee. But we'll get into fees later. If you can use internal folks, by all means, do it. They should know what's going on in your institution far better than an external consultant will. Having said that, does that internal person have the broad experience to be able, the holistic experience, to be able to see across an institution and understand what levers to push on to make the changes that you want to do. That's the big key 
is having that experience to know what levers to push. And I would imagine if you know which levers to push as an outside consultant would, you also prevent a few mistakes that someone in-house might make. You think? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, was that an obvious kind of affirmation? (laughs) Yeah. The word duh comes to mind. Sorry. But there is that issue. But there's also another thing as well is they've seen this before. They've seen these particular issues and they understand from a broader perspective of what the levers are to push. Okay, let's stay with this idea of mistakes. So that's mistakes from maybe people trying to work through whatever the issue was. What about the higher education leaders when they're deciding before or while they're hiring a consultant? What mistakes do you see some of the leaders make? Oh, that's a really good one. I don't see leaders making a whole bunch of mistakes in hiring. Sometimes they'll go for low cost. An institution who is very budget sensitive, it makes all the sense in the world. But sometimes the low cost may end up costing you more money. I mean, I've had to go in and, you know, and and I would never malign any of my colleagues. But I have had to come in and fix problems that other consultants have created because they didn't look at a solution holistically. I mean, you push on one level and there's always going to be unintended consequences. So that's one of the issues that presidents I've seen make mistake as they go for that low cost versus what are the real services. Another mistake is doing things through an RFP, a request for proposal. Many times you'll get a whole bunch of different responses and they won't necessarily align with what your thinking is, but without going down and actually doing more in-depth research on the consultant, talking to the consultant, talking to the firm, who's actually going to be delivering the services You don't really understand the meaning behind it. You're judging the words instead of the consultant capabilities. So those are just two of the things that that I see. We could spend three hours talking about mistakes, but the majority of folks, they do a pretty good job when they build that relationship with the consultant to understand. There's one other Mm -hmm. that I think is important to do, and that's fit. It's got to be a good fit from a personality perspective. Do they, will they be able to relate to your institution? And more importantly, will your institution be able to relate to them? Will there be the, the mutual respect there that needs to be? I think I've talked long enough about that. Yeah. So just to recap, the first mistake was you get what you pay for, right? So keep that in mind. Like if that's all you can afford, that's all you can afford, but maybe don't have high expectations for more. The second was about being able to really work and collaborate with the consultant, especially maybe front load it with a lot of relationship building, which leads into that third mistake, which is not knowing if that consultant's the right consultant for your organization. Yes. And sometimes that low-cost perspective is what leads to additional issues. So you'll end up investing more money if you don't do your due diligence up front. Yeah, and then I think even when you have to go back and make mistakes, yeah, you're, you're mad about the cost, but you're also mad about the aggravation it caused. 
Oh my yeah, God. Right? No and everyone around you, you would promise, oh, here's our savior. This person's going to fix it. And now, oh yeah, we got to refix it. And we've aggravated everyone in the meantime. Mm-hmm. And what does that do to your own credibility of bringing on that consultant? Right. Absolutely. They won't say yes next time. That's for sure. So do you see any preventative measures that presidents and other college leaders could take to set themselves up before becoming in a tight spot for to have to actually sign on the dotted line for that contract for the consultant? Are there any minefields, pitfalls that we could avoid? Oh, thousands of them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we'll start with a couple. <laughs> we'll start with a couple. One of the things that I, and I hate to use the term preach, but I certainly will, that I preach to clients is have a functional and operational strategic plan. Okay. And I'm not saying this because I do strategic planning. I'm saying that a strategic plan done properly is the roadmap for your institution. And it's not a static you know, what we call the spots syndrome, the strategic plan on the top shelf gathering dust. It is a living, breathing document that has implementation plans. It has your roadmap for moving forward. Everyone is on board. It is the document. And more importantly, it's the process that creates that shared vision for your institution. And it's something that should be revisited at least annually because some of the assumptions, the external, it changes. And so you need to be able to have that there. There's some other things too. An annual or a biannual, every year, every two-year governance checkup. What's going on with your board? Is your board functioning properly? Is your board independent? I mean, I see clients who unfortunately they don't have an independent board. Your board, for your board to do their fiduciary duties, they need to be independent. Your duty of care, your duty of loyalty, your duty of obedience. All of these things need to be done. So there are tune-ups. There are things that you can do from a strategy perspective, from a climate perspective, from a governance perspective, that if you just have these done every year, it's going to help fight off some of the potential issues that would require you to bring a consultant on to fix something. So having an operational strategic plan, that was one, and then Mm -hmm. as well as having a governance checkup. Are there assessment tools or what does that governance checkup look like? It can take many different uh, looks. What we typically do is we will use, we have a proprietary governance survey that we use and we tailor to clients. We will do a in-depth review of their governance structures, their bylaws, policies, etc. We will do interviews with board members and with key stakeholders because typically what we found is the The board has a perception of how they're doing, and everybody else has a perception of how they're doing. And very rare is it that the two of them are completely in sync. So that's just one of the things to be able to do if you haven't reviewed your bylaws in five years. It's time to go do that. There's a lot of different things from a governance perspective. I hope I've answered your question. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's talk about my favorite topic, the cost. 
it can be expensive, right, to hire consultants. As you, we've already sort of noted, you get what you pay for. So mm-hmm. what are your thoughts to help our listeners make a decision about whether to hire consultants? Well, the first off I would say is if you can do it internally, do it. With a consultant, you're not necessarily paying for time. What you're doing is, at least with good consultants, you're paying for their experience, their ability to get to the core issues, the gestalt of what the problem is, and to be able to solve that. You know, for example, one institution that I worked with was having issues with climate, with bullying, and things along those lines. And the gestalt of it was they had one or two people in there who were wearing the mantle of a senior executive, and those people needed to go. And then they needed to go back and build the trust for the institution. So the ability to get down to the gestalt, the true issue, is what you're paying a good consultant for. Sometimes it's expensive. Sometimes it's a relatively simple cost. We don't like to charge by the hour. I I personally think that's unethical. And the reason I say that is you as a client want to minimize the amount of time, keep your cost low. And as a consultant, most consultants want to bill as much as they can. So if you have a fixed price for the contract or for for the uh, engagement, then the consultant is free to spend as much time as they need to to fix your issue. I would imagine then that the clients themselves don't feel like they're being nickeled and dimed to death, right? Like, oh, now you're charging me for this. Now you're charging me for this. Well, what's going on? And that I would imagine that can lead to a little bit of tension between a consultant and a client. Absolutely. Uh, Another great reason why I don't like to use hourly rates. This is what the, the rate for the project is. We'll put in as much time as we need to to make sure your issue is fixed. So let me ask almost the same question, but the opposite or the inverse of it. How much money do you think colleges might lose if they don't use a consultant when really they should have been contracting with a consultant? Sarah, there's no way I can answer that. I, I wish I could. You know, I could be really flippant and say four, five, 20 times, but it really depends on the situation. I can tell you that if you get into a situation and you need a consultant, find someone who is going to be able to work with you, work with your budget. I mean, I will take clients, and I've done this in the past, I'll take clients who essentially can't pay me anything, but they really, they've touched my heartstrings to where I'll go, you know, we're going to do this. I don't care what it costs us, we're going to do it. And being a small firm like myself, I can do that. Now, if I'm using other folks, subcontractors, whatever, I can't do that particular thing. But I will do that if it's someone that I go, man, you've got a great story. You need to keep doing what you're doing. You're touching so many people's lives. Let me help you. And I think that's at the heart of why I wanted to do this episode, Jerome. You touched on it really nicely, is that, you know, in higher ed, we all go into higher ed because of our heart for serving students. And then we're in these organizations and all we want to do is really good work, but the budget sort of constrains us sometimes. So I really appreciate that you brought that up that, you know, we're all wanting to make things better and the money doesn't go to us. It Hopefully the benefits are seen by the students themselves who are attending colleges. For every consultant, 
and and this this goes carte blank consultants institution if you're not doing it for the students you're in the wrong business it's all about helping other people improve their station in life i mean i used to fly airplanes and spy on people for a living in the navy i did this for many many years and people don't you miss flying i said no not really it was great you know going up being in a moonless night out over the ocean with no lights whatsoever and being able to see the Milky Way and everything in all its glories was just amazing. But what really made it worthwhile for me was me teaching people how to fly. I was helping somebody else realize their goals. And that should be at the heart of everyone in higher education. And even more importantly, everyone who consults to higher education institutions. It's all about the student. It's all about the institution. It's not about you. Very well put. All right, we're wrapping up, Drum. So let me give you a final question. What's your best advice for college leaders to operate a financially viable institution? And it can be related to consulting or it could be related to some other trend in higher ed. I know you're super up on all the the issues and the trends. So what's your best advice for college leaders right now? Innovate, innovate, innovate. I had a friend of mine who was the great grandniece of Thomas Edison, and her business was Innovate Like Edison. He had something that was amazing. You know, it took him over 1,800 tries to invent the light bulb. I mean, that's a lot of innovation. Innovate, be persistent, focus on who your customer really is. That's what higher ed leaders need to be doing right now. If you're having challenges with finances, do what you need to do to fix it whether it be merge with another institution, whether it be increase enrollment, new programs, but you've got to innovate. The the status quo doesn't work any longer. There is far more capacity out there than there is demand, and it's only going to get worse with the enrollment cliff. Now, I'm not meaning to scare all your listeners, and I apologize, but to be smart, you've got to innovate, you've got to be persistent, and you've got to build a shared vision for where your institution is going. If you don't do any of those three things, then I'm sorry, it's going to be very, very difficult for you. Yeah, you're really setting us up to think about what things are going to look like for the rest of this year and beyond. I think it's going to be fascinating to watch how higher ed changes. All right. I would imagine some people would love to continue this conversation with you offline. Where can they reach you if they want to get in touch with you? Oh, thank you for asking. Well, my website is changinghighered.com. My email is drum, D-R-U-M-M, at changinghighered.com. Those are probably the best ways to get in touch with me. We've got a contact me form on the the website, and just go ahead and fill that out and let me know what your challenge is, and let's have a conversation. Fantastic. We'll include all that in the show notes. Drum, thank you again so much for being here. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Sarah. It's been a great pleasure having you. I'm looking forward to listening to this. It's not often that I am a guest on someone else's podcast and 
again, thank you for the kind remarks about mine. It's been a pleasure on your podcast, and, and I wish you guys all the best. Thank you so much. Take care, John. You too. To support the cause of the affordable college experience, visit us at highlevelleadership.com. Read our blog and join our email list to get connected. Follow us and leave a positive review on your favorite podcast app. Let's get down to college business. Oh, 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 oh